Well, as O.J. has mentioned, uh, we are finishing our series today uh, that we've entitled Rhythm, where we've been looking at the traditional practices that the church has really engaged in throughout the centuries, uh, practices that are designed to help us grow in our relationship with God. They're, they really are a means of grace, a means of accessing the grace that we need. I fell into a trap early on in my, my Christian walk and that I would see these disciplines as kind of a measure of spirituality, and they're really not. Um, you're not more spiritual if you have a quiet time. Uh, what you are is someone who's put your body and your mind in the right place that you might receive and access the grace that you need. And there's this reservoir of grace. God, God says in his word that God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you might have an abundance for every good work. That's a lot of grace. And that's available to us. And we access that grace that we need for our lives through these spiritual disciplines. The one that I get to talk about, as O.J. mentioned, is very near and dear to my heart. It's the reading of scriptures. And so in preparation for today, um, and as I was praying and thinking about it, uh, what kept coming back to my mind is one of my favorite messages here at Summit uh, years ago. Um, Isaac, this particular morning, asked the question, what one discipline that if we were to engage in that discipline, if we left this place and then tomorrow morning we started on this new pathway and developing this new discipline, what one discipline, if we were to able to develop this discipline, would help us the most in terms of shaping our character over the next five years? Not necessarily a week from now, not necessarily a year from now, but standing five years from now looking back, what discipline, if we started it today, would help us over that period of time? Now, my default answer for those kinds of questions is always lose weight, uh, go on a diet, start exercising, and, uh, and that's true. But in addition to that, what I realized as I thought deeper about it, there was no question in my mind. Uh, the discipline that God has used, not only these last five years, but going on now 38 years for me, has been the regular reflection and the reading of Scripture as just a pattern of life. Research has shown, and yeah, this is actually something they do research, that if you're a Christ follower, the regular reflection on the scriptures is twice as transformational, twice as catalytic as any other activity that we do. And that's a pretty powerful statement. Of all the things we do as Christians to try to grow in our faith, this one thing, the reading of scriptures, the regular reflection on the scriptures is twice as catalytic as anything else that we engage in. So I've got a question for you this morning. If it's so helpful to us, why is it so hard? Anybody experience that? Because it's so helpful, as a pastor, this is one of the things I've longed to try to help people to develop in. But I recognize that, that there's a lot of challenges that people encounter regularly. And maybe they haven't had formal Bible training. Most people haven't. And, and there's all kinds of challenges. I, re I remember uh, one guy, I lead a Summit Connect group for emerging leaders, and we talk about how to apply our faith in the marketplace. And on um, this particular morning, we were talking about this very subject, about reading of the scriptures. And, uh, and, and so he goes, hey, can, can I be honest? And I said, yeah, man, that's great. That's what we do in here. Go for it. He goes, well, he goes, I try. But it's just crazy boring, dude. <laughs> and 
And I thought, all right, that's a good start. We're honest, all right? So let's talk. Let's kind of go from there. I get it. For some people, it's hard to engage with. It just feels boring. Um, uh, other people, there's more of this kind of indifference. It's like, oh, I'm glad it's there, but you know, I seem to be doing fine. I, I really don't need it. Uh, for other people, there's just a lot of stuff in it that's weird, it's hard to understand, big religious words, and, and so it's hard to engage uh, regularly. But if I had to summarize everything that I hear in kind of a, a way to kind of generalize it that I'm, I'm running into the most, I would just say that for most people, uh, the Bible is just downright intimidating. And, and I get that. Um, so if you're one of those people, any one of those reasons, you're not going crazy, you're not somehow less spiritual, right? it's, it's a very common thing. But I'm going to ask you to push through that a little bit this morning. And to go beyond some of those initial hurdles and to really think about this idea of studying the scriptures. Now, I get the idea of being intimidated by a book. Um, for me, I somehow managed to graduate number two in my class of 1,000 kids, um, and I never read any of the classics. Maybe it's because I went to East Detroit High School. That can give you a little indication of where I'm going with this. Um, and, and I had to ask Kaylee, what are the books that they read in high school? Because I can't remember reading any of them. And so she told me things like Grapes of Wrath, Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. I had to write them down. I don't even know them. Uh, to Kill a Mockingbird, Lord of the Flies, Catcher in the Rye, Great Expectations, The Great Gatsby. She read all that. I didn't read any of them, not one, and somehow graduated. Maybe that's why when I got to University of Michigan, um, they, everything at Michigan, you're competing against your fellow classmates. So right from day one, they do an assessment test and relatively rank you versus your classmates. And so in the area of reading composition um, and writing skills, I was in the lowest 10 percentile of incoming freshmen at University of Michigan. Needless to say, I had a steep hill to climb. I remember studying uh, my business law book, big old thick hardbound uh, maroon cover with gold boss letter embossed lettering on the thing. I still remember it. Um, one particular night, I was in the library, and, and we were getting ready to study for chapter five, six, and seven for class the next day. And to my horror, when I opened up chapter five, there were five words. can't remember what they are. I blocked it out of my mind. And, and I didn't understand one of the words, not one. I needed to get a dictionary. This is before, you know, you had pocket dictionary and your cell phone and before internet. I had to pull out the old Webster's, flip through that thing, go column by column, find the word, digest the meaning of the word, then string it all together. It took me 20 to 25 minutes just to understand the title of the chapter. Needless to say, it was a really long night. So I get being intimidated by a book. I really do. So let me give you an idea that will help you as it comes to reading scripture. Here it is. Don't see it so much as time reading a book as it is time with the person of the book, Jesus. Don't see it as time in literature, but see it as time with Christ. Does that help? That really helps me. And it's not just a catchy phrase, by the way. It's actually something the scripture teaches about itself. And so this morning, if you're willing to kind of go with me, I'd like to take you on a journey and show you from the scriptures why this statement is actually biblical, why it's actually true. And for us to really understand this, we've got to start 
with a, a deeper question, and it really relates to who is God and, and what's his nature, what's he like? And so if, if we're in the quest to get to know God, we've got to start with who he is. And so I take you back to the series we just completed not too long ago on the glory of God. And so let's start there. From this series, we learned that God in his person, God in his nature, is perfect and pure and holy. In fact, so much so that Paul says in his writings to Timothy that God dwells in unapproachable light that no one can see and no one has seen. The Hebrews have a name for this manifestation of God. It's called the Shekinah glory of God. And it's God in his essence, God in his presence, is manifest in this unapproachable, blazing, bright light that God said to Moses, you cannot look upon the fullness of my glory and live because God is so pure, God is so just, God is so holy that we as fallen people cannot approach him and we cannot see him and we cannot experience him. So this causes a big problem because God created you and me for himself. He created us for relationship with him and yet we can't approach him in his holiness. And so how does God solve this dilemma? How does God make himself known? How does God who mercifully veils himself from us so they're not, we're not consumed, how does he make himself known? Well, he does that three different ways, according to the Bible, and I'd like to share those with you this morning. It's called revelation, how God reveals himself to us. And so let's look together at the first one. It's found in Psalm 19. Psalm 19, beginning in verse 1. This is not in your bulletin. If you have your Bible, you can uh, turn there. It's also going to be up on the screen. Let's look at the first way God reveals himself to us. Verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. Do you see it? Do you see what this is saying? Theologians call this general revelation the book of nature. What he's telling us is that nature is talking to us. It's talking to us every day. There's no place on planet Earth where, where language is used, that nature is not consistently talking to us about the glory in the person in the existence of God. God has hardwired us this way. This is one of the ways he reveals himself to us through general revelation. Now, observing creation, maybe you can experience that. I, I, one of the stories that I just uh, latched onto that I really enjoy in his book, uh, The God of Stones and Spiders, Chuck Colson, who is just a great author, he tells the story of a woman named Nian Chang. And Nian was a um, businesswoman in China during the revolution. And the Red Guard came first for the professors and for the business people in that society. And so being a businesswoman in Shanghai, being successful there, she was arrested. She was tried as an imperialist spy, and she was convicted and put into very, very harsh, harsh prison conditions. And uh, she was in this dirty one, very small cell, dirt walls, dirt floor, dirty bed, 
with a single light bulb that burned 24-7 there in her room. And she tells a story on one particular day that as she was sitting on her bed, she saw a pea-sized spider come crawling through the barred windows, crawled up to the top of the window and spun a thread down to the bottom of the window and then continue thread upon thread to weave this beautiful web. And here's what she wrote reflecting back on that experience. I had just watched an architectural feat by an extremely skilled artist. My mind was full of questions. Who taught the spider to make the web? Could it have really acquired the skill through evolution or did God create the spider and endow it with the ability to make a web so it could catch food and perpetuate its species? I knew I had just witnessed something that was extraordinarily beautiful and uplifting. I thanked God for what I had just seen. It helped me to see that in my circumstances, God was real and he was in control. Perhaps you've experienced something similar. Maybe it was just walking out at night, looking up at the stars and being awestruck by what you saw. Uh, perhaps it's going to the beach. I love living in Florida. If we want, we can go watch the sunrise over in the Atlantic and we drive across the state and we can watch the sunset um, into the Gulf. Perhaps it's the first time you took in the sheer magnitude and power and just beauty of the Rocky Mountains. Or maybe it's something like Nianchang where you just observed a spider weaving a web. All I know is that all of us have experienced it. That unmistakable moment where we listen to the voice of nature as it's screaming to us, as it's, as it's speaking its words to our soul, that God is there, that God is real. And I know this to be true because this is what God says. And in Ecclesiastes, he says that God has set eternity into the hearts of people. And so God speaks to us through nature. For me, it's always oceans or mountains. I just love those. This summer, I had the chance to go out to speak at a conference in Estes Park, Colorado. I've done that many, many times, many years. And there's just something about going there for me that is really uh, one of those times where I just engage with God. He just speaks to me in that environment. It's just beautiful. I like to call these thin spots between earth and heaven where God just seems to be very, very near. So God speaks to us. One of the ways he reveals himself to us is through the power of his creation. The second way that God speaks to us is called specific revelation, and that's found in the second part of Psalm 19. So let's continue on as we learn about how God reveals himself to us, starting in verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. Isn't that beautiful? Do you see what the psalmist has done here? He has now switched from the idea of general revelation to what theologians call specific revelation, or in the Greek language, the logos of God, God revealed according to his word. Now, the ways that the Hebrews would refer to the, the word, they would call it the law, the statutes, the ordinances, the precepts, the commands. These are ways that they would refer to the written word of God for us. And so we need to catch this. We need to understand 
that God, who is veiled from us because of his Shekinah glory, his unapproachable glory that we can't approach, yet wants to make himself known to us, this is the way he has done it. The scripture says of itself that he inspired by his Holy Spirit people to record his word and he went to great lengths to preserve it for us for all generation and in the word of God has made himself known to you and I. It's how God has revealed himself to us. If we really catch that, let that sink in for a minute. This is the gateway through which we discover who God is. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The word of God quickens the soul and it speaks to our hearts. And so this is specific revelation, the logos of God. Now, in today's world, there's an explosion of great online resources. Um, uh, Ted's talks are are a favorite of people. Um, You've got Khan Academy, lynda.com, all kinds of podcasts. It's become a $350 billion industry. Um, And so people obviously are searching for wisdom. Uh, They're searching for knowledge like never before. Uh, Let me ask you a question. How many of them you think view the Bible as a place where they could go to find some of that wisdom? I would venture to say outside the church, uh, not too many. Unfortunately, more and more inside the church, that's happening as well. And the reason why is because in our culture, the Bible is under attack. You see, the Bible isn't popular in our culture primarily because we live in a time and we live in a society that has rejected the idea that there is absolute truth. And if there is truth that is absolute, no one can really know it. It's unknowable. And so this is called relativism. As UCF, University of Southern Cal professor and Christian author Dallas Willard has said, in today's world, truth is in trouble. And so at the university setting of which he is a professor, he said, they steer clear of anything that is moral, anything that is ethical. It is just something that they avoid. And so truth is only relegated at the university setting to the observable. Why? Because no one wants to be told how to live. No one wants someone else telling them this is right and this is wrong. So absolute truth gets rejected. And the rejection sounds something like this if you were to ask them about the Bible. Really? Really? You really want me to read the Bible? What about all the ways the Bible's been proven to be false? I mean, it's just an archaic and antiquated relic that's irrelevant and downright offensive to today's modern sensibilities. And what about the fact that it's just full of misogyny and racism and violence and all the ways of the internal consistencies that have been proven? And it's been shown to not even, um, you know, be compatible with modern-day science. How can you read the Bible? Sound familiar? That's today's argument. Well, guess what? Nothing new. It's been going on for centuries. Every generation has had its objection with the scriptures. Now, I wish I had time. I can't get into all the apologetics of the scriptures this morning. But here's the problem. The problem is, is for most people, those sound bites are happening on things like Facebook and Twitter and these little arguments going back and forth. And what happens is people don't read it for themselves. They They just rely on what they're seeing online. And here's the challenge to the church. 
is it undermines your and my confidence in the scripture. We hear that stuff, and we're not trained apologists, and we don't know how to defend it. And so we think there must be some kind of truth to that because it's just everywhere. Everybody's saying it. And so what it does to you and me is it undermines our confidence in the word of God. It undermines our sense of his authority. And that grieves my heart. Because think about it for a minute. I love all the great online resources and all the, the, just the knowledge that's at our fingertips. But of all those authors and all of those speakers, let me ask you a question. Are any of them God? Do any of them have his wisdom? This is what's available to you and to me. The radical claim of the Bible is that it is an inspired word of God through which we discover who God is, what he is like, and it is full of everything we need for life and godliness according to the scriptures. There's a reason I have such a deep love for the word of God. I'm just so thankful for it. Back in that junior year of college when I was struggling with the business law book, I actually had a bigger struggle going on deep within my soul. I was a mess. I was empty. I was hurting. Looking back, I didn't know at the time, but I was clearly depressed. And I was making really bad choices, choices with my mind and my body that were only exacerbating the problem and spinning my life out of control, and I literally hit rock bottom. And on that bitter cold night in February, I remember getting back to my dorm room, and I got down on my knees next to my bed, and I grabbed a Bible that I had been carrying around. I hadn't read it in three years, but a Bible my youth pastor gave to me and somehow made it in the box into my dorm room every year. And I said, God, would you help me? God loves answering that prayer. And on that night was a turn and a new trajectory at the center of which became a relationship with God as he's revealed himself to me and does to all of us through his word. Through his word, I've understood who God is. I've grown in a personal relationship with him. I've learned to trust the precious and magnificent promises that are filled within the scriptures. I've gained the wisdom I've needed for living. I've gotten the kick in the pants that I need more often than I care to admit that I need it. But most importantly, I've learned about God. Like a lighthouse in the midst of a fierce storm, the scripture stands steadfast to send out its beacon of light to any who will heed its message. Its timeless words will speak to our generation if we'll only listen. It claims to be inspired and helpful to us, to correct us, to teach us, to reprove us when necessary, to teach us how to live the lives that God is calling us to live. It says that it's living, it's a live book. It's not just words in a book, it's alive and it's sharper than a knife and it cuts through our moral ambiguity and self-denial and speaks to our innermost being. In times of darkness, it gives us light. In times of uncertainty, it offers hope. In times of indecision, it gives us the needed direction for life. It gives us the answers to the questions that people have been asking throughout the generations, the worldview questions. Who are we? Where did we come from? What went wrong? How do we fix it? Where are we going? These are the questions of life to which the Bible gives us a very comprehensive and beautiful and understandable answer. But most importantly, it helps us to know the person of God and his 
eternal, grandest love story ever told. That we were created for him, but yet we rejected him and we turned our backs on him. And that that did not deter him in relentless grace and relentless love. And he pursued you in my heart. So much so that he was willing to take our rebellion upon himself, our punishment upon himself, that we might be offered forgiveness of sins, that we might be restored to the purpose for which we were created, relationship with him. Oh, how I love his word. There's a reason I sing with the psalmist, oh, how I love your law, O oh Lord. It's my meditation all the day. There's a reason I cry out like Job that says, I long for your word more than my necessary food. It is literally given me life and has set my life on the path of walking with God. This is God's will for you and for me to reveal himself. This great God who dwells in unapproachable light has revealed himself in his glory to you and me. Isn't that great? This is how we get to know him. So at the end of the day, we've got to choose What's going to be the authority for my life? You can choose to rely on your own thoughts, your own feelings, but let me ask you, how's that, how's that working out for you? Or we can turn to God and let him speak to us. As I mentioned, he speaks to us through the book of nature. He speaks to us through the logos, the book of scripture, the written word. But there's a third way that I, I mentioned at the beginning of the message and I'd like to share that with you now, the third way that God reveals himself. And that's found in John chapter 1. This is in your bulletins. It'll also be up on the screen. And let's look at the third way that God reveals himself, John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of mankind. Drop down to verse 14. And the word, the logos, became flesh. And he made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Did you catch that? The logos became flesh. And what does he say? Remember, God dwells in unapproachable glory. God dwells in unapproachable light. What does John say? And we have seen his glory. Jesus is the exact representation of the nature of God according to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. He's the exact representation of the radiance of his glory. The glory is now accessible. The glory is some, now something we can see. The glory is now something we can approach. The glory has been revealed. And we get to know God through the person of Christ. Because Jesus is God in the flesh. He's made himself known. He's revealed himself to us in a way that we can approach, in a way that we can understand. Isn't that beautiful? The scripture is the written word of God. Jesus is the living word of God. The written logos and the living logos. They're one and the same. They're two sides of the same coin. You see, the scriptures taught that Jesus would be coming. Both the Old Testament and the New Testament help us to understand the whole Bible is a book about Jesus, who he is, what he's like, how do we recognize him? And yet Jesus affirmed the authority of the scriptures 
And he honored their authority in his life and in his ministry. And so the scriptures honor Christ and Christ honors the authority of the scriptures. Together they honor one another's authority and they coalesce into a single fount of the authority from God. And so that's why you can say biblically, it's not just time in a book. It's time with the person of the book, Jesus. This is how God has made himself known. Now, I want to give you a picture that I think will help you because it helps me. I'm a guy who likes to read in the morning. I'm a morning person. Some, some of my friends, they like to read at night. But it's still a choice. I'm kind of waking up, and I'm getting the sleep out of my eyes, and I see God's word, and I'm like, do I have time? I'm a little busy. All right. Now, there's a verse in Zephaniah 3.17 that says, God is in your midst, a warrior who saves, um, and he exalts over you with joy, and he shouts over you with shouts of joy. That's what it says. God shouts over you with shouts of joy. So, all right, Lord, I'll do it. So I pick up the word, and up in heaven, God's going, yes, way to go, Kern, all right. Shouting over me with shouts of joy. Why? Because God's crazy about us. God created you for, uh, he created you for himself. He created you for relationship. He's not neutral towards you. When you pick it up, when you decide, I'm going to spend some time with him, he's thrilled. His heart quickens. He gets excited, and he shouts over you with shouts of joy. That's pretty cool. I like that picture. That helps me. God is eager to meet you right where you're at, and he'll do it as often as you let him. So don't let the challenges of reading the scripture keep you from this life-giving habit. And if you run into some problems with scripture, just call us. Pastors, we'd love to help you. Um, you can get in community together and Summit Connect group. That's a great way to kind of work through some of the challenges you'll face and, you know, wonderful resources online. But again, I'd love to help you if I can. Uh, just, you know, shoot a text or an email. But here's what I found. The challenge of reading scripture isn't so much the stuff that's hard to understand. I've found that the majority of scripture is pretty easy to understand. Here's the real challenge. The challenge is in doing what you read. Let me give you a couple examples. The Bible says to bless those who persecute you. Bless and curse not. I can understand that one. <laughs> Boy, is it hard to do. Do not return an insult for an insult. Again, but offer a blessing instead. Whew. I can understand that one. Pretty hard to do. Forgive those who sin against you. Forgive and sin not. Get the idea? The challenge of the scripture isn't so much in understanding what it means and understanding what it says. The challenge is, is in implementing it to our lives. And see, the goal of reading the scripture is not to just get so many Bible verses in our mind, although that's a good start. The idea is to get them into our character. You see, the goal of all of this learning is to be better at loving so that we become more like Jesus, so that we look more and love more like Jesus. And so it starts by learning what it says, but the real learning occurs when we humble ourselves and step out in faith and obedience to follow our God. And so this is right in line with this idea that you're spending time with Christ as his disciple. This is a relationship. So when he leads, we follow. When he corrects, we adjust. When he speaks, we listen. 
when he teaches, we apply. And if you really want to understand the scriptures, get in the habit of doing what he says. And then your knowledge will just take off because you're truly understanding who he is and his will for our lives. Does that make sense? And so I want to just encourage you that if you could start this week, perhaps you're already engaged in this, and I just hope this encourages you to just keep going. But a number of us have kind of fallen out of this regular habit or have never begun it. And let me invite you, it's not as hard as you think. Set your alarm five minutes early. One chapter of scripture is about 25 verses usually, and it takes five minutes or less to read. Set your alarm tomorrow five minutes early. And let God meet you there. Get your body and your mind in the right place. And do that over and over and over again. And I guarantee you, five years from now, when you look back, it'll be the single greatest habit that you could develop to let God shape your character that you might become a person that looks more and loves more like Jesus.